It's amazing what God is doing. Psalm 65, 9 through 13, you take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. The river of God has plenty of water. It provides, say this with me, a bountiful harvest. You see that? Bountiful. Just look at somebody and say, I'm getting ready to have a big harvest. Would you do that? Because that's what that means, bountiful. And look at this next phrase. I love this. Man, the word of God is so cool. For you have ordered it. So, you you jump to me. There it is. You jump too quick. You have ordered it so. (laughs) God ordered it. This is better than going to McDonald's where you place your order. God ordered it. And he did this for the earth. The earth that has no collective awareness of what is going on. It has no sense of conscious being. No rational thought. The trees outside on this property are not aware if it's raining or not raining. They react positively if they get water and negatively if they don't. But in terms of being a consciously aware, say, oh, it's raining. I didn't bring an umbrella today. They don't do that. You and I do. God ordered for earth to experience bountiful harvest. And this is my point. If he did it for just the earth, what about the highest level of his creation? which is mankind that he created in his image and in his likeness to bring him glory. You drench the plowed earth with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. You soften the earth with showers and bless it, and here it is again with abundant crops. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture, and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep, and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. That is what God has spoken over us in this new year. And from this, I'm drawing this text, or this, 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 rather, this subject throughout the whole year. This, this is the word for us for this year. I'll speak many different series, but this is the word. Unashamed, undaunted, and unstoppable. Amen. And we're going to Haggai, chapter 2, and verse 18 and 19, I'm drawing these words, these phrases from these two verses. Consider now from this day and upward, and as I mentioned last week, if your translation says forward, you need to know that if it says from this day and forward, that the original actually does say upward. doesn't say just forward at the same level. It means forward, but with an upward elevation. Tell somebody, I'm moving higher. Would you do it? If any of you are old enough, it almost makes me want to sing the theme song from George Jefferson. Amen. I'm moving on up. <laughs> Hallelujah. From this day, I will bless you. I could, I could even use that as my title today. I'm moving on up. Last week, I spoke about the power of spiritual coverings and... Uh, it's been many years since I've taught this, and, and as we entered into the, as you know, the new year, I spent months, I actually knew at the beginning of last year what our theme would be for this year, and because the Lord had already spoken to me, and I purposed that I was going to rush through this on spiritual coverings because I, I don't like to be redundant and teach the same thing over again that I taught, but most of you have never heard me teach it, 
And the Holy Spirit has just, over the course of the last week, put the brakes on and said, slow down and teach this. And I'm going to do it because if a season has changed with a spiritual covering, it means the season has changed for everything under that covering as well. But you must understand through revelation, because revelation is what releases faith, you must understand through revelation to be able to have the faith for that to be actively at work in your life. And so it's actually of vital importance that believers understand spiritual coverings. I personally am convinced that in today's world, most believers do not understand spiritual coverings. And um, they think they do, but they don't. They're, if I can tell you just a joke from my heritage in Louisiana. Okay. Did you hear about Boudreaux? They were having the annual church business meeting. And the pastor proposed that they buy a new chandelier for the church. And Boudreaux immediately jumped up and said very passionately, we don't need no chandelier here. And the pastor said, well, Boudreaux, why is it that you're so opposed to us getting a new chandelier and dressing up the church somewhat? And Boudreaux said, Pastor, I'm opposed to that chandelier for three reasons. First, there isn't anybody here who knows how to spell it. And second, there isn't anyone here who knows how to play it. And third, we need to take that same money and put some lights in here. It's too dark. Amen. <laughs> People think they know what spiritual coverings are. Father, would you speak a word to us right now and open heaven over our lives? In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. And so I want to speak today from the subject, the function and power of spiritual coverings. And of course, this is part two. I said I was going to teach on seven different spiritual coverings. Actually, there are eight. I wrote a book on seven, and I thought I would rush through this. And, and as I mentioned, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me, so I've added in the one that I became more aware of through revelation, as it were, after I had published the book that I, I put out on this. There are actually eight coverings. The first is blood coverings, and here they are. Blood coverings provide divine protection. Enemy can't touch you under blood coverings. The second is prayer coverings. Prayer coverings access the premises and the provision, the, the promises and the provisions of God. Everything that God will ever do has already been released. It's our responsibility to reach into the heavens through prayer and bring it into this present dimension. The third is worship coverings. A worship covering enables access, worship covering enables access to the glory dimension. That's the third dimension. There are coverings of grace. Grace coverings create an open heaven and cause one to walk in divine favor. The fifth is love coverings. Love coverings provide restoration and healing. You don't want to ever have to deal with the issues in your life if you are not under a love covering. Because, boy, there's enough judgmentalism out there that will eat you alive. The sixth is coverings of glory, or coverings of the anointing, rather. This type of covering causes breakthroughs and even breakouts to take place. You remember the difference in a breakthrough and a breakout. Everybody needs a breakthrough. You need a breakthrough in your finances, a breakthrough in your marriage, your ministry. Everybody needs a breakthrough in your business. There's a difference in a breakthrough and a breakout. You will need over the course of your life many breakthroughs. But a breakout is when something happens that moves you to an altogether different dimension. Amen. That's a breakout. The seventh is coverings of glory. 
Coverings of glory bring you into the manifest presence of God. They impart the measure of God's glory that that covering has experienced. And the eighth is ministry coverings. Ministry coverings are actually the combination of all the previous seven. And that is what is provided by a church and a ministry that you become connected to. It's what a church provides for its members if they understand through faith and revelation what a spiritual covering is. These first seven things, I think I may have said six here, and the, they've got it. Thank you for the correction back there. In the notes, I left it at six, but it's actually seven. They are a combination of these, of these first seven elements. And to the measure, now this is really important, because in the kingdom of God, you can't give what you do not have. Such as I have, give I unto thee. To the measure that a spiritual covering or a ministry covering, has experienced these first seven things, to that measure, they are able to then provide them to the people they cover. It seems that these days, the church world, as I've already mentioned, does not understand the function or the power or the significance of spiritual coverings, and there are actually a number of reasons for this lack of awareness. Here are just two of them, quickly. One reason is that church people no longer look to God for where they should be connected to the body of Christ. We used to pray about where we were going to be a church member. <clears throat> People don't do that anymore. We have become something that for thousands of years, humanity was not, and that is we have become a consumer-driven society in a way that never existed in the past. And there's nothing wrong with consumerism, so don't misunderstand me. I like consumerism. I like being able to choose if I'm going to eat Wendy's, uh, Fuddruckers, uh, Five Guys, you know what I'm talking about, Burger King, or Jack in the Box, or Whataburger. I like options, amen. Back in the day, when the first automobile was introduced in the United States, it was the Model T. Does anybody remember what Henry Ford's famous saying was, any color as long as it's black? That's right. No options. You either took it the way it was or you didn't. Today, we're fortunate in that we have options for everything. You can choose the designer that you want to wear. You can choose the car you want to drive, the manufacturer. You can choose the neighborhood you want to build your house in. What we have done is inadvertently, without being aware of it, been seduced into a consumer mentality that makes us do the same with church and spiritual matters. We do not realize that God is the one that we're supposed to be seeking direction for in terms of spiritual matters. So what we do is we decide we want to live in a certain area and then we pick a church closer to that area. Whether it's where God has placed us or not is not even a consideration. Yet we wouldn't do that with many other things that are significant. I'll give you some that are really important. A doctor. If you have a critical life-threatening illness, you don't look for a doctor based upon convenience of location. Every Sunday afternoon, there are people that fly in from around the world through George Bush Intercontinental Airport. They're here from many other countries. They're flying in for orientation in the medical center on Monday morning. There are some of these Saudi sheikhs that have flown in here and literally rented at the Western Oaks Galleria two floors for an entire year while they and their, their wives were here so they could have chemotherapy and treatment for cancer. People come here regardless of the distance or the cost because they want the best. You do that if it's your heart. You do that if it's other situations. You 
have problems with your liver. And here's my point. Somehow I am led to believe that in the kingdom of God, matters that are spiritual, while all other matters are very significant, none of them take as high precedence in our life as do spiritual matters. If I'm willing to drive or get on a plane and fly to go get the best medical, best medical treatment for a physical disease that I have, then why in the world am I going to choose a church just based on lo- location or convenience? I'm going to get the very best I can get. I only get one shot at life. And not only that, I've, I've got my wife and my kids and my grandkids that I want to sh- be sure have access to the best that there is. I want them to be where God has placed them. And in terms of churches, I really do believe that God places you in a church. Psalm 68, verse 6, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When we decide to take control of our own lives and disregard his will, we end up living in a desert place. And people live in deserts in terms of their families, their marriage, their relationship, their business, their finances, their ministry. So many people making decisions that they thought intellectually were sound did not consider what God's will was. And, and I want to say this. I have people that come from, to me from time to time. And they say, Pastor, help me pray because I want to know what God's will is. I always honor that and I appreciate that. But you also need to know. That if somebody just comes and just has made one of these casual decisions to relocate, I always honor them as well because I, I love people. And I bless them because I want them to have the very best in their life. But at the same time, I always think, you know, if you don't honor God with these major decisions of your life and things don't go well, then really, you know, you've done yourself a disservice. And do you know that after I preached last Sunday, I got on the plane Flew to Africa by way of Amsterdam, so I'm landing in Amsterdam on Monday morning while you guys are asleep because there's seven hours ahead of us there. And I walk into the frequent flyer lounge, and somebody calls me as I walk into the lounge. Hey, Pastor Hurd. And I turn around, and it was a young man that used to be a member of the church here. And he and his wife decided to move to the southwest part of town. And he stands there and in the middle of the frequent flyer lounge with tears in his eyes begs me to pray for him because he moved out of the will of God and his family is falling apart and they've got all kind of trouble. And so we've been corresponding by email. He was on his way to work in, uh, overseas in the oil industry for 35 days and then he's coming back. But my heart went out to that young man. And and you may think that was coincidence with me teaching what I'm teaching right now, but I didn't. I felt like it was the Lord speaking to me and showing me there are many people that make these decisions like that. God is the one who places you in, in a family. And if God placed you at Christian Tabernacle, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else if I were you. On on the other hand, if God wants you somewhere else, I want you to know that as your pastor. I wouldn't want you to be here as much as I love you because I want you to be under the covering and in the place where God wants you to be. A second reason, I said there were two among many, actually I'm just mentioning two, that people do not understand spiritual coverings that are members of the church these days as well as they once did is because it simply is not being taught anymore. We have become so consumer-oriented that even pastors are consumer-oriented and choose a church on the basis of what's the best opportunity for me. Or will that church give me a little bit more money? Or 
a little more recognition. I've had all kind of offers for churches since I've been here. I've never entertained one because God gave me a dream before I came here and told me to come to Houston, and that was good enough for me. Amen. And it's kind of like the, the man and wife that got married, and she was complaining in marriage counseling. He never tells me he loves me anymore, and his jaw fell open. And he looked at her and said, well, I told you 35 years ago. I'll let you know if I change my mind. Amen. That might not build a good marriage, but in terms of ministry, that does work for me. God told me 35 years ago, that that's good enough. Well, actually, it was 29. Amen. What you receive from a spiritual covering actually depends on four things. The level of your hunger, number one. Number two, the level of your faith. And number three, the level at which you connect with that covering. And number four, the level of your spiritual discernment. The first one is pretty obvious. Hunger stands to reason simply because Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you you shall be filled. Regardless of any area of your life, whatever arena of life you're focused on, whether it's business or success or ministry or entertainment in the arts or education or family, the level of your success in that arena of life will depend upon how hungry you are. Because For you to be successful, I can guarantee you it will require adjustments and change on your part. And the only thing that makes us willing to go through that is we hunger so much for the product we're seeking that we're willing to go through the changes necessary to have the success that we know we were supposed to enjoy in that particular field. So the second thing that determines what you receive from a spiritual covering is not just hunger. It's the level of faith that you have. It plays an important role. And I think of Israel under the cloud that I mentioned last Sunday, the horizontal cloud. It wasn't vertical. The horizontal cloud that air conditioned them by day at night turned into a cloud of fire and gave them central heating in the middle of the cold desert. It gets very cold in the desert at night because of the variance of temperatures from the day to the night, extreme temperature swings. Yet, in spite of the fact that Israel actually had all of the benefits I mentioned last week. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They got manna on the ground every morning. The rock followed them, gushing a river of water, turned the the desert into a, a, a garden. All of those things, they were supernaturally protected as long as they stayed under the cloud. God himself declares that they didn't get everything out of the covering that they could have gotten. In the book of Hebrews, he said, there yet remained a rest for them to enter that they did not enter because of unbelief. So what actually determined what they got out of that covering was their faith. They had faith for the material things that they needed in the desert. But there were other things that God wanted to give to them. And everything in the kingdom of God is accessed and appreciated, appropriated, and received By faith. The level of faith that you possess determines the level of the benefits you receive from a spiritual covering. As human beings, we often try, don't we, to bend God to our will rather than learning the principles that move God and applying those principles to our situation. We do. We we look at a situation, we want God to bend himself to our will. That's like pouring water in a car and saying, I have money for gasoline, so I'm going to make this water keep the combustible engine of my car going. You do that, you're going to mess up because you're violating principles. The same thing is true. I'm not paying KLM to fly to Europe today. I'm going to flap my arms and I'm going to fly there. We'll see how far that gets you. But we often, we, we laugh at stuff like that 
But in the spiritual dimension, that's exactly what we do. We want to bend God to our understanding rather than seek him. And the only way that we can fully appropriate everything that is in the kingdom of God and in a covering for us is by raising the level of our faith to the degree that we can do so. Faith is what moves God. And when I say faith moves God, I want you to realize that human effort does not move God. All kind of human efforts. Remember those prophets that cut themselves back in the Bible on Mount Carmel? And Elijah taunted them, go ahead and cut yourself some more. Shout a little louder. Maybe he's going to sleep. Amen. I have been in various places in the world, both in Latin and South America, where they have religious festivals. Also in India, I've been going there for many years now. And in India, I happen to have been there at, at the same time of the year on a number of different occasions. And I have seen the devotees to a particular God. I don't remember his name because they're, they have 330 million, so that's a lot to remember. Amen. And uh, they actually claim the average person only knows about less than 80 people by name. Can you believe that? Average person knows less than 80 people by name. Well, um, 330 million gods is a lot of gods to remember, so I don't remember that fellow's name. But you can see his devotees in their religious festival at certain seasons of the year. They all dress in the same color. And they're on their hands and their knees crawling by the hundreds. You'll see them all up and down the highway. And we were on our, our way. Maybe Finney and, and Sindhu might even help me know which festival this was. But it was astonishing. They, they, I asked the, the pastor that had picked me up at the airport. I said, how far do these, these guys crawl like this? And it was many, many miles. It seemed like where he picked me up, they still had like 180 some odd miles to go. They crawl until their clothing is shredded. They crawl until their knees are bleeding and their hands are lacerated. You go to Mexico and also Latin and South America, they have some festivals where the very same thing occurs. And they will crawl literally until they're, they're bleeding. I want to tell you, I've not seen anybody here work that hard. <laughs> Hello, you're still out there. Microphone, you're still working. Amen. You think you work hard. I've never seen anybody work that hard. Amen. Human need does not move God either, just like human effort doesn't. Jesus said there were many widows in the days of the widow of Zarephath, but only one was sustained. There were many lepers in the days of Naaman, but only one was healed. If human need were to move God, there's never been a time in the history of this planet when there's greater need than right now. They claim their greatest genocide that's ever occurred in the history of mankind is going on right now in the Congo where millions and millions have been killed, more than were killed by the Hitler, by Hitler and the Nazis in World War II among the Jews. The greatest need that's ever existed. Look at Syria. Look at other places in the world. The Sudan. If need moved God, all we would have to do would be to get out of his way and sit down and let God work. But neither human effort moves God, nor does need compel God to act. What it does do is it moves God with compassion. But only faith causes God to act. And it works like this, that faith places a demand upon the anointing of God. Much like these transformers out on this side of the church do. There's a whole bank of transformers. And if you were to Go out there, and some of you know enough about electricity to know how many voltages, how much voltage is actually coming in from the main power lines. I don't. But it's huge amount of electricity and power that is accessible there. 
But until someone in this building flips a switch, either with an air conditioner or a light switch or sound system or musical instrument or something happens, until a, a switch is turned on, all of that power you're connected to does no good to the person in this building. A switch has to be thrown. And I want to tell you, you and I are connected to the greatest transformer that's ever existed in history. He's the transformer of all of mankind. And until faith flips the switch, we don't access all of that power that is in God. And there's only one way to get faith, and that is by hearing, because faith comes by hearing, and that comes by the Word of God. And to the degree you get the Word of God inside your life, to that degree your faith grows. Which is why you hear me say things like this, you can go to church too little, but you can never go too much. You can hear too little preaching, but you'll never hear too much preaching. Oh, somebody in the building say amen. So back to this whole consumer mentality when it comes to church. People choose churches on the basis of, well, how convenient and close is the church to my house? Or how short are their services? <laughs> preach, pastor, preach. I feel the anointing in this place. Amen. There is a need for believers and even ministries to connect to spiritual coverings because of what they can add to your life. And, and because without a covering, you literally are like Israel when they slipped out from underneath that cloud and lagged behind. They were immediately attacked by the enemy, immediately, because the enemy followed Israel in the wilderness, waiting for someone to get out from underneath the cloud. And when they did, they attacked them. Amen. And so... There are four things I said that affect the level of importation you receive from a spiritual covering. The first is hunger. The second is faith. But the third is the level at which you connect to a spiritual covering. You see, not everybody connects to a church in the same way. Uh, maybe the best way I can tell you this is to say that as someone involved in ministry for many years, I have a lot of people that are in ministry that have been in ministry much less time than I have ask me to be their spiritual father. I've had ministries literally come with their entire organization, several hundred churches, and say, we want you to be our spiritual father, and we want these churches to be under your leadership. And used to, when I was young and I needed all of that, then maybe, oh, yeah, cool, man. I'm, they, they're recognizing who I am. You know, there, there's a certain amount of that that satisfies the ego. As I have grown and matured in the kingdom, I've come to understand there's a huge responsibility in that, and I never say yes without first walking the person through what it means to be connected to a spiritual covering, especially if you want someone to be a spiritual father. Just recently in the office, I had just alluded to this very same thing in a discussion I was having with some great folk who we were talking about the meaning of this, that are members of our church. But with ministries, I'll tell you what I do. I tell them, did you know there are seven different ways you can connect to me? Seven different ways. And I don't get to vote on which one of those it is. If you come to me and you say it's a God connection, first I'm going to have to pray and see if it, I feel the same way. But then once I do, you're going to have to decide because I will never be the one to tell you which one of these seven people I can be in your life. Because there are seven levels of spiritual leadership. Number one, there are advisors. And sometimes when people say they want a spiritual father, they're really looking for an advisor. 
What do advisors do? Same thing they do for the President of the United States. They provide their perspective. But at the end of the day, the President's going to say, thank you for the input, but I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going with this over here. And they will not be offended at all because their assignment is to serve when and as is needed. Amen. There's a second level that's higher than that, and that's teachers. Whereas advisors deal with perspectives, teachers deal with information. They impart knowledge. The role that is different, the the distinction between these two couldn't be more clear. Advisors help you see a broadened perspective of what might be. Teachers deal with realities. Two plus two is four. I don't care who thinks it isn't. You understand what I'm saying? The sun's going to rise in the east and set in the west. I don't care what an advisor tells you it might do. He may say, it could rise in the west tomorrow. No, no, it's not going to happen. Coaches are yet a higher level. Their role is different from the previous two in that they train you for a specific task or assignment. We have people in our church that have actually have competed in the Olympics. And they go through rigorous ordeals that people who are training for specific purposes and assignments are willing to subject themselves to that no one else would be willing to go through. And if you're going to be at peak performance in anything in life, you probably need a coach somewhere along the way. Do you know that Serena Williams still has a coach to teach her tennis? Tiger Woods still has a coach to teach him how to swing his golf club? I'm talking about the best in the world still need coaches to look at their style and say, no, you developed your drop in your elbow or you're tilting your head the wrong way or, or whatever. And they listen to them. Amen. Leaders are even a higher level than coaches because, as I mentioned, these are, as it were, different steps at which you can, and levels at which you can connect. A leader does this. He provides direction. He doesn't give you options. He doesn't teach you data or knowledge. He's not going to train you. He provides direction. He is foresighted enough that he can see where you're going. And he shares with you what the next 15 steps are going to carry you toward. Amen. And they see further down the road. You can get so self-absorbed in what you're doing that you can't even see three steps down the road. We talk about developing tunnel vision. Anybody that's ever been involved in something they're passionate about knows what tunnel vision is because you don't see anything going on around you. Leaders help you. Mentors are the fifth level, and they're a higher level than a leader because they don't deal with direction. They help you discern your gift and your calling, and they call out of you the gift that God has placed with inside of you. Amen. And they sharpen your skill set by helping you to receive experience. And that experience is also given with candid feedback and assessments that can help you develop wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge your teacher gave you a few steps back down the road. And then sixthly, there are father figures. Father figures are people who you may never connect with. They may never say a word to you, may never shake your hand, but just by virtue of their example and their sacrifice, they have embodied an idea or a value that is so compelling that when you see them, you know they are the living epitome 
of what that value or ideal is. Nelson Mandela is a father figure. I've met him. You may never have met him, but it doesn't mean you don't revere his memory. Martin Luther King Jr., a father figure, not just to the African Americans, but to the whole nation. Others, George Washington, not only the father of our nation, but accurately, he was the father figure of our nation. The seventh level is different, and that is spiritual fathers. Here's the difference in a spiritual father and the other six. Only spiritual fathers have the power to impart spiritual DNA. Father figures don't, teachers don't, coaches don't, advisors don't, mentors don't, leaders don't. Only fathers do. Only fathers import spiritual DNA. Literally, they have something to give you that can change your life. And when people come to me, I have to know at what level they're coming. And I told you, when something happens in a spiritual covering, it happens to everybody connected to that covering. So there are all kinds of things happening among my spiritual sons right now. And I've just been thrilled listening to them share some of their testimonies. Esslings in Germany. Germany has been hit with a flood of refugees because Angela Merkel, the prime minister of Germany, brought in over a million Syrians without vetting them. Whether you're for it or against it, let me just tell you what's going on. The result has been crime has broken out across Germany like you can't believe. There are these, these roving bands of young Muslim men that are going to these festivals and, and holidays when people in Germany get out in the street and they're molesting women and sexually assaulting them because there are whole masses of them that surround women and the whole nation has been in an uproar. And you know where a large number of these these, these refugees were brought, Esslingen, Germany, where Hervoyer and Issa, our spiritual sons, are building a church. And they went into prayer and fasting, and she sent me an email this past Friday. Do you know that their police station there, while the rest of Germany has been hit with a crime wave and terrorism and all kind of stuff going on, their local police station has had to lay off two-thirds of the police force Because they have prayed through so much that crime has gone down to such a low degree they can't even keep the policemen busy there anymore. I'm telling you, it's time for a breakthrough. Would somebody in the building shout hallelujah? Amen. Of these seven levels of spiritual leadership, you have to discern, I tell people who want to connect with me, which one you are. Only spiritual fathers can give an importation of a double portion. Second Kings chapter 2, Elijah and Elisha end up at the River Jordan, and several times Elijah's told Elisha, you stay here in Gilgal, you stay here in Bethel, you stay here at, at, at Jericho, you stay here at Jordan. Each time Elisha says, no, where you go, I'm going. Because the principle is if you have a spiritual father, you pursue them. And I always tell people that want to connect with me in that sense that are in ministry. We're primarily talking about ministry here. I say, you have to pursue me because I will be subject to the tyranny of the urgent. The last emergency that comes in is the one I'm going to be on the phone with. So if you want to connect with me and you're waiting for me to call you, probably it's not going to happen. So if I don't have anything you want bad enough for you to pursue after me, then let's not do this. But if you see something in me that you want, such as I have, give I unto thee. But you've got to chase me down. That's just the way it is. You're going to have to chase me down. 
And Elijah turned to Elisha and said, why are you following me? He said, because I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, only if you see me taken away is this going to occur. And do you know what Elijah said? He said, if you see me when I'm taken away, it will be granted. But in the Hebrew, what it says is, if you see eye to eye with me, which signifies a greater understanding than if you just are there and watch it happen as a spectator. It means if you literally see me, you understand who I am in your life and you see why I'm doing things the way I'm doing them. If you see this, if you see who I am sent by God to be in your life, you can have a double portion. And Elijah's taken away suddenly by a whirlwind of fire and chariots of fire and angels. And do you remember what Elisha said? He lifted up his hands and said, my father, my father, the horses of Israel and the chariot, chariots thereof. He didn't call him mentor. He didn't say my advisor, my advisor, my teacher, my teacher. My coach, my coach, my father figure, my leader, he said, my father. And there came floating back down from that chariot the mantle that Elijah was holding. And when it fell, Elisha grabbed it out of the air, walked over to the river Jordan and said, let's see if this works. Folded it up and went wham and said, in the name of the Lord God of Elijah, part and the water split wide open and there has to be in the kingdom of God a way to transfer anointings from one generation to the other. The church cannot keep starting all over again with each new generation having to learn everything starting from kindergarten. There needs to be a place where we can make a holy spiritual deposit, a download of anointing and revelation where our kids start where we leave off. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. And so I always tell them, you have to make that decision. Well, how do I, how do I know? That brings us to the fourth thing that determines what you, you get from a spiritual covering. And that is the level of your spiritual discernment. Because I'm, I can't tell you this. I can't tell you what I'm supposed to be in your life. Now, I'm sharing with you some very private things that most of you would never know about this side of my ministry or who I am as a, as a, a person trying to serve God and mentor others. But the same thing applies to you, doesn't it? And the kingdom of God was spiritual coverings. Matthew 10, verse 40 through 42, this is what Jesus said about discernment. He who receives you receives me. Aha. Uh -huh. In other words, that person sees you walk in the office, they may think it's you. But it isn't just you, it's me too. <laughs> oh, you got to get this now. This is so good. This is cool. But he who receives me, that is Christ, receives my Father which has sent me. Here's the point. Your boss just may think that you're a worker but guess what happened when you walked in the building? Jesus entered the building. The power of God walked in. But for him to tap into the resource that just entered, he has to have these four things that I've just mentioned. And Jesus went on and said, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. But if you receive that same prophet as a righteous man, He's talking about the same person. If you receive a righteous man and the name of a righteous man, guess what? 
The prophet is a righteous man, but he's also a, right, he's, he's also a prophet. But if your discernment is he's a righteous man and not a prophet, guess what? You receive not a prophet's reward, but a righteous man's reward. But if you don't even receive him as a righteous man, because a prophet is a righteous man, and he's also a prophet, but he's also a disciple. And you only receive him as a disciple, you receive a disciple's award. You won't lose your reward. If you give him a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you're going to get a reward for that. But if you give him that same cup of cold water in the name of a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward. But if you give him that same cup of cold water in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. But if you give him that same cup of cold water as the one that Christ is abiding inside of, am I talking to anybody right now? Similarly, these four things affect what you get out of a spiritual covering. How hungry are you? What is the level of your faith? What is the level at which you have connected to a spiritual covering? Is this just your church? Or is this really truly your spiritual covering? Is this just where you attend when you decide you want to go? And next week you play for the Dallas Cowboys. You see what I'm talking about? Amen. Or is this really where you're committed and where you're being covered? And also the level of your spiritual discernment. Those four things, amen, determine what you get out of spiritual coverings. One of the first coverings I want to talk about, today I'll get through blood coverings. Next week I'll talk about, about prayer coverings and worship coverings and maybe get into grace coverings. But let's first talk about blood coverings. When Adam and Eve sinned, they opened themselves up to attack by the enemy. Whatever the measure of a blood covering that a church walks in, whatever that measure has been given and granted by God, to that same measure, their members share in that covering. And remember, blood coverings are given for protection. Can somebody in the building say amen right now? They're given because they provide divine protection. When Adam and Eve sinned, they went and took some branches, some leaves from fig trees, and made themselves little garments of fig leaves. And God said, you know what? Some coverings are not getting the job done. <laughs> can, can I work on that one for just a brief moment? It's kind of like some people's clothing. Are you listening, Kim Kardashian? I'm not talking about anybody here. I hope to God you don't model your life or your, your, the way you dress after some of this stuff we see these days. It's ridiculous. God said that won't do. He went and he took animals and killed them and took their bloody skins and put it over the nude bodies. Why? Because the old coverings were not adequate. Like the little boy going through the family Bible. And many, many years ago, his grandmother had taken a flower and pressed it in the Bible with its leaves. And the little boy found it. It was all dried and shriveled up and brown. And he looked at it. And he went running to his mama and said, look, mama, I found Adam's underwear. <laughs> Some coverings won't get the job done. God said for you to be protected you need to be covered by blood. What was he talking about? Once Adam and Eve sinned, they opened the door for access of the enemy into their lives. Satan had a straight open highway 
into their family. And God said, I need to get you covered. We live in a world that is under attack. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But when you get under a blood covering, blood is something the enemy cannot see through. Amen. The enemy can't see through blood. Many years ago, we had Roy Benavides, Sergeant Roy Benavides, Medal of Honor winner. Does anybody remember those days many years ago, Tony? I, I think probably very few of you were even here. Roy was in Vietnam. He was shot, stabbed. He was hit by uh, an RPG, and he was left for dead. And do you know that the enemy came and walked all around him and didn't see him? Lying right out there on the ground. I know of two situations like that where that occurred. One, a helicopter pilot went in and picked up a friend of mine named Larry Flanagan, whose mother was an intercessor in Detroit, Michigan. Flint, Michigan, sorry. Flint, Michigan. And she was praying in church on the other side of the world in Vietnam. They were having a firefight. And her son Larry was hit with a recallless rifle. If you don't know what a recallless rifle is, that's the big one that Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger carried, you know. I'll be back. Those things, the big ones. He was paralyzed from the neck down, crawled into a hole. Blood was pouring out of his, his wound into his mouth. He thought he had been shot in the stomach and was dying, but it was actually his back. He was bleeding out so fast he began to pray, God, I was raised in church. I don't know how to pray. Please, God, let my mother, let somebody somewhere around the world wake somebody up. Let them pray for me. His mama was in church service in Flint, Michigan, and at that moment she stood up and said, I don't know what's going on with my son, but we got to pray. My boy Larry's about to die. A helicopter pilot flew in, got Larry out against military orders. One week later was on another mission, was shot down, and he was lying right out in the open. Everybody on board the chopper was killed. He was horribly burned. And the enemy walking all around him while he's writhing and groaning, he couldn't be still. And it was like God put his hand over him. And the enemy couldn't see him. Same thing happened with Roy Benavides. When you're under a blood covering, the enemy can't see you. Somebody in the building needs to say amen. In the book of Exodus, we see how this works out. Because God tells Moses, have every Israeli family sacrifice a lamb, a spotless lamb. Of course, referring to the lamb of God that's soon to come. And they take... Hyssop, which is that weed I talked about last year that's a, a, literally a laxative. It cleans you from the inside out. That's the weed that grows out of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and all over that area. Take the hyssop, dip it into the blood of this sacrificed lamb, and then you splash it over the, the threshold of the door, the, at the lintel of the door, and then you do it on each side post of the door. Now watch this. Remember, gravity is at work. So you have a door frame like this, and you put blood here and blood here and blood here. What's going to happen to the blood up here? It's going to drip down on the ground, right? What does that make you see in your mind? That's a cross right over the door of that house. Pointing to the cross of God with the blood of the lamb applied. And God said this, when the death angel, the destroyer, passes through the land, I will also pass through, and I will pass over you. It wasn't God saying, I'm going to come through. 
And if I see the blood, then I'll go to somebody else's house. No, he was saying when the destroyer comes, when he comes in, I will come. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and I will hide you. Do you know that's how the name of that festival got its name? The Passover? It was God hovering over Israel to protect them. Therefore, there was a a death of a firstborn in every son, in every home, the firstborn son in every home in Egypt. But guess how many died in Israel? Not one. Because the enemy can't even see you when you're covered by the blood. Somebody in the building needs to say amen. In fact, did you know that our word bless? That it was originally, this was the original word used in English in the ninth century for bless. It was B-L-O-D. I blood you. It wasn't I bless you, it's I blood you. Because to be blessed, if you look up the meaning of the Hebrew, means to be marked by the blood. When you get blessed, you're marked by the blood of the Lamb. The enemy can't get near you. Now, here's what's so cool. It was the same Moses that said, put the door of the blood on the doorpost and over the the, the lintel and it will fall to the threshold. It was the same Moses who said that, that wrote Psalms 91. You always thought it was the psalmist David. It wasn't. Look it up. It was Moses that wrote Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him shall I trust. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Did you see the use of that word refuge? Do I have any hunters in here today? I used to be a great hunter, amen. Loved hunting waterfowl. That's my culture in southwest Louisiana. And you, if you know anything about me, you already know my granddad was a world champion duck and goose caller. That may not impress you, but that meant something in Louisiana. <laughs> and my uncle became world champion duck and goose caller after him. And I wasn't too bad myself. Amen. Oh, yeah. Wink, 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 wink. You learn that those ducks talk a language. I used to be able to talk duck. Amen. I did. You say, I'm multilingual. I am too. I talk English and I talk duck. Amen. Praise God. And we had, we had a hunting lease that was a mile square cut into the side of Sabine Wildlife Refuge. Where those birds come down in winter into winter. And we were... We, we had nothing separating us from them than a canal. <laughs> Wasn't even fair. They'd fly over that canal and they would be welcomed very warmly. Many a gumbo has resulted from those birds leaving that refuge and coming into our lease. But you know, they're smart. And after a while, they learn that canal means something. There's a fellow over there named Richard Hurd that's got a gun that will reach out and touch somebody. And I will end up in somebody's gumbo pot. If you are offended by hunting, that's my culture. Pray for me. I need the prayer. You need the practice. Amen. So just forgive me for just telling it like it is. But whatever I had going on with between me and ducks, it, you will be 
pleased to know it's been resolved. I haven't hunted in many years. But they figured out if I cross this canal, I'm going to end up in somebody's gumbo come Sunday. Amen. And they learned to stay on their side because there was a federal law that you can't hunt in that reserve. You're safe when you're in the reserve. Amen. And that's what Moses was saying. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. You need to learn to plead the blood. I'm done. You need to learn to plead the blood over your family. When you get up in the morning, don't go about your day without first taking the time to say, I plead the blood over my family. I plead the blood over my kids. I plead the blood over my marriage. And while I'm saying that, young people, don't you wait until you get older to do it yourself. You can do it right now. God will hear your prayers. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Colossians 3 and 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You can be hidden from the enemy. That's what happens in blood coverings. Enemy can't get to you. Enemy couldn't touch Israel as long as they stayed under that cloud. That's why I say get connected to a spiritual covering. Get hungry enough to know what it means. Develop your level of faith enough to take advantage of it. Figure out what level you're supposed to be connecting to a church at. And number four, develop your spiritual awareness and discernment so that you will know what actually is going on. Oh, yeah. And if you do, you will be hidden under the blood. My wife and I raised our kids pleading the blood of Jesus over them every single day. You can plead the blood of Jesus over your family. You can plead the blood of Jesus over your job. You can plead the blood of Jesus over your career, your place of employment, your neighborhood. You can plead the blood of Jesus over your marriage. Hello, somebody. You say, I'm under attack. Well, just go to pleading the blood and get it hid. Get it hidden under the blood. Amen. Where the enemy can't see it anymore. Because if it's out there and he can see it, he's going to attack it. You say, well, what does the blood do? I'll tell you what it does. The blood is to Satan what kryptonite is to Superman. It makes him weak in the knees. It makes him fall down. It makes him powerless. He's a big bad devil until the blood shows up. And then one glimpse of the blood and he turns pale and starts looking for another direction to go in.